Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am an exercise physiology and nutrition professor, and I'm a competitive bodybuilder. Hey, folks. Robert Fortress Fortney here. I'm a former editor at Muscle Mag International. I'm a former uh, competitive bodybuilder and current uh, strength training enthusiast powerlifter. Uh, this is Phil Stevens. I'm a, a coach in the creator of LiftForHope.org and StrengthGuild.com, as well as a competitive powerlifter and Highland Games athlete. And you're an underwear model. Yes, and I'm sponsored by Meat, Meat, Meat. <laughs> hey, folks, we, we just got this cool email from this uh, lady, Stacy, and uh, nice lady. She had lots of nice things to say about our uh, Iron Radio show, and she also says that she is um, dedicated to uh, putting out information about diabetes and some stuff. And she actually said something really cool here that. Um, some new uh, research states that walking 10,000 steps every day may improve your insulin sensitivity. So that's kind of cool. Uh, of course, it falls in line with the whole idea of what we, need, we know about uh, activity and how that can help those types of things. But anyway, yeah, Stacy, thanks for your email. And, uh, yeah, I um, hope you continue to listen to our show and uh, enjoy it. Right. And I'll tell you, we can invite her too. Stacy. if you want, we have contributor editorials. You can read a little uh, 300 or 500 word uh, essay, and we'll put it on the Iron Radio site too, and that stays up for several weeks instead of just one. Uh, there's a page on there about reader, you know, con- contributions and editorials, and you'd be welcome to do that. So, yeah, I right think, on. you know, I think just adding in too that, uh, you know, not just the walking, but getting people who are, are diabetic or pre diabetic um, to do resistance training, it's, it's huge. Oh, it is. I actually so, teach a class called Medical Aspects of Exercise, and I really try to emphasize how it's not just treating the symptoms. It is corrective. It, it's yeah. ex- muscle contractions are truly corrective for diabetes prevention and treatment. It's, it's amazing stuff. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's good news. Uh, in other news, I wanted to share a couple of things. A few episodes ago, we were talking about just sharing news blurbs of different kinds, and I have three here. And the first one's a little drier, but I'll read it first. This is from the February Journal, uh, American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, which is my favorite journal. Uh, and they're talking about protein feedings after exercise. And I think this is cool because how often do you hear people talk about how much protein can I absorb? And this is the first time I've seen something like this in print. Now, the paper is about how resistance training augments protein synthesis, right? Like eating will kick up protein synthesis. Training will kick up muscle protein synthesis, and together, it's even better. Well, I think we know that, but this is the part that I think is interesting. They gave these guys 20 grams of casein, so just milk protein, and not a whopping dose, but a you know pretty close to optimal dose for a normal person. And let me just read this quote. We observed that approximately half of the dietary protein-derived amino acids became available in the circulation over six hours in the postprandial period in all the groups meaning both young and old men. Postprandial means post-meal, of course. 
This finding agrees with previous work in humans and pigs, which show that the splanchic area extracts about 50% of the ingested amino acids to sustain its functional mass. So, in other words, 50% of it ended up in muscle tissue. They actually traced this with tracers, and 50% ended up in the gut. So, essentially, at that dose of protein, you absorb it all. If you notice, 50 and 50 is 100%, and that's what sort of struck me. And But I do think it's interesting that your intestines, your gut, will grab up half of that protein load. Uh, but anyway, the other half ends up in skeletal muscle over a six-hour period. So... Uh, pretty cool stuff, and, and they were basically comparing young and old guys, as I mentioned, but that's what I wanted to point out, that even at a 20-gram dose, which is like a typical scoop of protein powder, you know, boom, you're absorbing pretty much all of it. It's just that your gut takes its half and your muscles take their half. And Anyway, so there it is. So people who think that, oh, you don't absorb a whole lot, or, well, you up to 20 grams at least, you're absorbing all of it. So uh, in other news here, the American... Uh, the Dietary Guidelines for Americans came out. And I'm not going to read through this whole thing. And I just, last year, actually, I was privy to a, a executive report. And these are four of the highlights here that they're saying about Americans. So this is brand spanking new. They just had a press conference. And this isn't straight from the press conference. Like I said, this is a, a, sort of a sneak peek from a few months ago. But four major findings in these new dietary guidelines. One, Reduce the incidence of prevalence uh, and, and prevalence of obesity and overweight in the U.S. population by reducing overall calorie intake and increasing physical activity. Oh, well, that sounds That's pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty, pretty obvious. I don't know. Thanks for that, fellas. Number two, <laughs> shift food intake patterns to a more plant-based diet and consume only moderate amounts of lean meats, poultry, and eggs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. boy. I mean, Phil's meat cleanse is right out the window. <laughs> oh, man. Now, I think what people need to realize when they read these kinds of guidelines is that you know that the people like the Institute of Medicine uh, that comes out with these, they um, they have sustainability at heart, you know, in their mind. They know darn well that if everybody started eating lean meats and vegetables – Although we would all get much leaner and our health would probably improve, that's not sustainable. Grain is how, you know, you keep feeding 300 million people cheaply. And, you know, so you know that's part of that. Anyway, number three, significantly re re reduce the intake of foods containing added sugars and solid fats. Well, again, you know, there, thanks for that one. Uh, and number four, meet the 2008 physical activity guidelines for Americans. I think that's interesting that that's in the dietary guidelines. I mean, physical activity, I don't see how that's dietary in any way, and I've said that for years. But it seems like the nutrition arm of the government and the dietitians are sort of um, dominating uh, who, what kind of nutrition, not nutrition, uh, exercise information goes out to the public. And I, I don't know, I'd like to personally like to see strength coaches and uh, athletic trainers and exercise physiologists getting that information out there, but... Anyway, so not a lot of real shocking stuff in here. They did point out uh, some interesting stuff about, you know, we actually have to start focusing on omega-3 fatty acids and, and that kind of stuff. And uh, But, you know, there's a lot of obvious statements in there. I mean, yes, we all know we're fat. We all know that we're over-consuming salt and sugar. Uh, so omega-3 is the essential one, correct? 
Well, yeah, you know, like DHA and EPA in fish oils or linolenic acid in, in flax and walnuts. Because well, you see the ones that are 369 and ones that are just 3. Yeah, I personally go for the oh, straight for the omega 3s because I you get if you live in the U.S. or Canada, you're getting tons of omega 6 just by eating basically because corn oil, safflower oil, cottonseed oil, almost any kind of regular vegetable oil is going to be way heavy on the omega 6. So I don't yeah. personally supplement those, right. but some people like to get kind of a mix. Yeah, I mean, One, it's not a matter that they're not essential; it's a matter that we're already getting enough easily. Well, yeah, I, I, I yeah, that's why kind of what I meant. Um, now, the last news blurb I have we were laughing about before we started recording was, uh, this is from USA Today, 13 Iowa players hospitalized with rhabdomyolysis. Now, for people who aren't familiar, rhabdo is massive muscle breakdown on a whole body level to the point that you're, you could be, have blood in your urine, you're in acute renal failure, kidneys shutting down, and this can be done with basically overdoing it in the gym. And it says here, 13 Iowa football players have been diagnosed with a muscle disorder after being hospitalized following off-season workouts. Um, apparently, they applied far too much intensity and, and duration at the same time. And as we all know, you know, those things move in opposite directions. You don't just bury people with, you know, intensity and duration simultaneously. But anyway, they clearly overdid it because 13 of these guys you know, peeing blood. And it, again, Fortress was laughing about this, but it says, Chris Doyle, the team's strength and conditioning coach, uh, did not attend the press conference. Other strength coaches were not available to reporters. So oh, these guys were just giving her, that's all. I think they're running for the hills. I don't know. I mean, obviously somebody's made a mistake here. You, you don't, I mean, I've only known two people ever in my 25 years of, of lifting and being in this industry that actually had rhabdomyolysis. One was a marathon runner and the other one was a martial artist who had taken a very long time off and then did like a four-hour crazy workout. Uh, but the point being is when 13 guys on the same team, I wish I had what the workout was. I'm going to have to look into this. A student brought me this. But I can only I imagine would. what this workout looks like. If you can do 13 you know, guys, again, with it being that rare, uh, on the same team, they must have brutalized those guys. And now they're like, oops. Well, you know, you know the problem was, right? They weren't supplementing with muscle tech. Yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> that's the problem. That's right. You know, they had the program, but they didn't have the, the muscle tech. Oh, that must be it. Well, that's why we're going to come up with Fortress Tech, like we were saying. Oh, yeah. You know, for sure, man. <laughs> then you can do those kind of workouts. Then you can do those workouts every day, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bring them on. It's the secret. Yeah, get her done. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So today's topic, if we get a little bit more serious here, and again, some of the news was serious, but um, w the topic is why do you do it? And I don't know how much listeners think about this themselves, and this does harken back a little to our uh, competition episode, but I wanted to ask Rob and Phil a little bit about this because we always ask our guests <coughs> their origins were – Right, but we never, I don't know if we ever really go on about it a whole lot ourselves. And let me just set the stage with this. I remember several episodes ago, we had Alwyn Cosgrove on, and he was basically half jokingly pointing out that exercise, well, it sort of sucks from an immediate feedback point of view for someone who's new. I mean, it's discomforting, you know, there's an injury risk, it involves self denial and that kind of stuff. So these things aren't big selling points. And I think he was trying to point out we have to, Trainers need to sell 
their clients on what does make them feel good. You know, why they're exercising is not the the act of exercising, but the self-confidence and feeling good about themselves that comes later. But now I think all of us, we're no longer in that ballpark. I think we actually enjoy the act of lifting. It's not just about how we're going to look later necessarily, right? So my question, my first question is, how does this evolve? I mean, how do you go from, you know, being uncomfortable and having this, you know, injury risk and this self-denial as all as negatives? How do you become a lifer out of something like that? Phil, do you, you want to go first? Oh, boy. I, I think it's just, for me, it was a transition, you know, from I jumped in it because I thought I should, you know, and that caught on pretty quick and stuck with that a few years. And then I think it's a, you have to transition to... For me, I mean, like I tell people, I started training when I allowed myself to do what I loved and what I was good at, when I just accepted it and and took on strength training, took on strength sports and things like that. I transferred from from somebody doing what I should to what I want to, Mm -hmm. I guess. You know, I mean, it was – and I only got to that by testing out all the other stuff. Yeah. I do think we gravitate toward what we're good at on some level, you know. I mean, that's – I was talking to some guys in the gym last night and – you know, most of those, these guys are sort of amateur power lifters and some of them compete, but, and, you know, I'm like, well, I'm not, I don't really have the frame for it. You know, I mean, I can't be stupid. I mean, all the things that make me pretty good at bodybuilding, like my 30 inch waist or my little elbows and that kind of stuff, yeah. not so helpful with, you know, five, six, 700 pounds on your back. So anyway, I think, I think all the people that don't stick to it are the ones that never go to that. They don't accept that it's okay to do the part of fitness they like. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of people that are, that could be damn strong, including some women, and they, they still stick to, well, I got to run. I, I hate it. You know, they constantly say, I hate this running, and then they go do it. And, you know, distance running and this and that. And it's, I think if you're going to stick to it a long time, you've got to find and accept that, that sect in, in fitness that you really enjoy. It's got to be something you're passionate about, or you just, you're not going to stick to it forever. Yeah. If it's something you hate and, Something you feel you have to do, not something you want to do. Well, I know, Phil, you talked about having a two-and-a-half-year stretch of not even missing lifts. Yeah. You know, and I mean, so success brings confidence, and and that's reward. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's one of the ways that I think people do eventually go from this sense of discomfort and doing it because they should to doing it because they like to or almost even masochistic in a way, but uh, – well, in a way. But now – I think I think long term, um, you know, longevity is in doing this. Oftentimes, as unfortunate as it sounds, oftentimes the that initial spark is something that is probably less than desirable in somebody's life. Um, you, you hear the classic signs of you know guys getting into weight training just because they're bullied around. Um, yeah, and, they were chubby kids or skinny kids. Well, I'm gonna I'm awkward. gonna come out and admit that you know I I came to a point where I realized that it, you know when I was doing a lot of reflection on this you know about a decade ago. You know, I grew up in a very rough part of Toronto, and and you know I was surrounded by a lot of people who were um, you know not of my, my ethnicity and so forth. Angry and I, I mean, penguins. I'm sorry. Angry penguins coming after you. <laughs> polar bears. That's the first thing that penguins. came to mind. Amen. There you oh, go, man. man. No, Sorry. but seriously, you know, and it's 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 like one of those things where I was, you know, um, ostracized and kind of left out a lot of things, and I, I did get bullied a lot. So, 
Um, it wasn't because I was overweight or underweight. It was just, um, you know, the nature of the thing. So I think that there's, a, and I think that's that story um, with slight variations can probably be seen in a lot of people. I mean, I remember reading something about Rich Kasperi, um, you know, the legendary, long since retired professional bodybuilder, saying when he was young, he was the same thing. He was bullied quite a bit, and he remembered hiding under his bed at one point and writing on the wall something to the effect of, you know, one day I will be a monster and nobody will bug me ever again. Um, so, again, I, as unfortunate it is, I think a lot of people do kind of get into it for that reason. I think, And I think the, the embers of that spark can exist probably for the length of a person's lifetime. But I think at some point it ha- has, to, has to evolve um, not only with that, but to a point where, as Phil says, you actually come to the point where you actually just enjoy the process, um, you know, as opposed to most people who are flash in the pans or don't don't last or very sporadic in their training career. Um, y- y- you can't love the result, but just, um, you know, put up with the journey. It has to be the opposite. You have to love the journey, almost desire, crave, need the journey, and the results are things that are just like cap off a certain era, you know, towards the next, you know, phase. Yeah, I, I look at training a lot of the way that I think Tom Plant once described it as being home. You know, you spend that much time, that many thousands of reps over many years. And I think by the time you're intermediate and moving to advanced, it's home. You know, you're like you go into a new uh, town, a new gym, that kind of stuff. You feel that bar in your hands and, you know, there's a certain element of what you like in the gym around you. And I know we all put ourselves in that sort of uh, magical place in a way. You know, when you're in a gym, you sort of it's almost a meditation of of sorts because you're you're focused on something special. But there is that sense of home. And I'll tell you, I think that sense of home over time, you're talking about the result of it, of spending time there. I think whether it's defending yourself like you were talking about or. You know, like Chris Shugart said, he was a chubby kid, or I wasn't really super skinny or chubby. I, and I, I mean, I, I guess I was okay at sports. Like, well, I was quite good at soccer and I did, and martial arts. You know, I was winning trophies in martial arts tournaments and those sort of things. But you know what? I, I think the lure is partly once you achieve any appreciable level is it's almost, uh, uh some level of superheroism. That you become bigger and stronger and more impressive than almost everybody else. Uh, in fact, I think I have an Arnold clip on that. Uh, but anyway, you get the idea. Yeah. I mean, that's a fantastic feeling to, you know, your, your visual presence or just your presence in general or your confidence or your strength is just superior to 90 percent or more of the people that you're around i mean how can that not be a little bit addictive you know i think it's that sort of superhero effect and you know i think i think the very thing that kind of pushes people away from you know uh long-term you know lifetime commitments to this i think the very thing that pushes people away from that is the very thing that guys like us um and a lot of our listeners um take to heart as being something that is actually very um adds to the allure of it and that that is the whole concept of in so many things in life, relative to a lot of what we do, um, you know, a lot of success could be had in a short period of time. You know, if you've got a certain amount of talent and uh, athleticism, you can achieve quite a bit in a lot of different avenues of athleticism. Um, again, in relative terms, in a very short period of time, whether it be two, three, four, five years. Whereas I think most of the time you'll see guys who, 
you know, to, to get to a, a certain level of size and strength, you know, where you're kind of like, you know, encroaching on the elite category, um, you're, you're talking about decades of training. You know, even the ones who are quote-unquote lucky and have the genetic predisposition to really, you know, launch themselves faster, forward faster than most people, and people who are even willing to use a lot of drugs and so forth, you're still seeing to get to that level, you're still still seeing, I, I would say at the minimum, at the very, very, very minimum, you're still seeing between probably 8 and 12 years. Um, and, uh, and I know Phil knows exactly what I'm talking about. The guys who kind of get to the very top, 98% of the time, I mean, these guys have been at it for decades. I mean, you know, you're not, you're not counting your training years in years or you're counting in decades. Um, so, and there's, so again, it's kind of strange that the, the very thing that kind of turns people off of it because it's such a long road is the very thing that guys like us and so many of our readers kind of hold dear to us that, that you know, we know that, you know, um, what we have is something that's very special because it's you know we, we've put in the time for so much time sacrifice you know? yeah yeah, it, yeah. It, like you say there's there's a heroism to that there's a there's a kind of a um, you know a, a quest you know and the quest has kind of spanned thousands of workouts and you know and, and endless amounts of food and and, and you know and, and again it's not something where you started at 15 and by the time you were 24 you know you were you know the ultimate freak. I mean, this is something that builds and builds and builds and builds and builds forever, seemingly. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of it is that, I mean, you're part of this group, and we all know now that, you know, if you're going to reach something impressive, it's going to take a long time. And that's like I was, a gal asked me the other night at the gym, she's like, how long is it going to take for me to be awesome? I said, how long have you been doing this? She said, about eight months. I said, well, you know, put your first decade in, and then let's let's see where you're at. <laughs> And she just looked at me like I was crazy. Yeah. Well, you don't want to overwhelm them either. I told her no. I said, you can create, I said, you can make great progress in like three, four months. I said, but, you know, if you want to be just truly amazing, you know, put a decade in and let's see where you're at yeah. there. And then we can start making changes. And I think that's part of it. It's, you know, hell, I've been doing this so long. It's like, why quit now? You know? Yeah, it's you know we've invested. Well, I think so for guys like us, it's like it's for guys like us, it's like brushing teeth. You know, it is. I mean, yeah, it's just something you do. I mean, it's not something you question. I mean, certainly there's some days you question going in for a you know a specific session because of whatever injury, illness, or just you know flat out you're overtrained. But outside of those those guidelines, I mean, it's just something you do, um, and you don't have to think about it. You know, when you have a session and you're healthy, you just do it. Um, and that's something, I mean, when I started doing this at 15, I mean, I, I could never have imagined that I'd be still, you know, doing this and making gains and, and, you know, getting to my strongest point, you know, 26 years later, you know, and looking, looking for all time great numbers 30 years later, you know, a few years from where I am now. And I'm sure you guys are the same way. Um, but it's the same thing when you talk a lot about, like a lot of bands who've been around for 20 years, and they always ask the question, you know, when you started this band when you were 16 years old, could you ever imagine that you would have 10 albums out, you'd still be touring the world? And I mean, I don't think anybody who kind of gets to a certain amount of success, and, and certainly success can be just measured just by solely, it doesn't matter how many trophies you have at championships, but the fact that you've just, you know, existed and persevered for so long, that in itself is a trophy. Um, but, you know, if you ask guys like us and some of our listeners who have been in for so long, I'm sure they, they would say the same thing. If somebody had asked them back when they were 13, 14, 15, whatever, 20, you know, you know, did you ever anticipate that you would still be doing this? And with such fervor, 20, 30, 40 years later, 
I'm, I'm pretty sure all of us would be like, well, you know, you never thought of it that way, you know, because I, 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 and I think if somebody put it that way back then, you know, that, that, that would be almost kind of like what Lonnie said, use the word, it would be overwhelming because you think to yourself, you know, oh yeah, I'm going to train really hard. But I mean, if somebody says, you know, when you've trained, trained your, you know, 20th hard squat workout, Guess what, buddy? Another two, three, four thousand to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? You'd be like, you're like, what the hell? What you... <laughs> I think you know. I think it also it's it's two things. Um, you know, generally, I know for me, and like you were just talking about, you you start, and you know, I was overweight when I started, and it's like you get this point of success, and you you start thinking, I never, I am never going to be that again. So that keeps you going. And um, the other thing I think is. You know, you leave, reach this level of maturity and you realize that there's always another pound to put on the bar, no matter how good you are. And, you know, it's like me going for an 800-pound deadlift, but, you know, I look and there's Andy Bolton doing 1,008. I can always do more, you know, and you've never really won no matter what you do. You can always go back, you know, you always have a weak area. You know, I got weak, long arms. I'm a friggin' 800-pound deadlifter with 17-inch arms that put long, gangly sticks on the end of this big torso. <laughs> and, you know, there's always something to work on. Yeah. Well, which is why I always, I really have come full circle in this, my whole idea of, um, you know, when people talk about, you know, I've reached my potential and, you know, I, I can't gain anymore. You know what? That's a failure of will. That's a failure of... Um, Imagination, maybe. Yeah, imagination, allowing yourself to be creative with what you do. You know, go back to the drawing board, listen to people that you would normally not be listening to. I mean, if you're a bodybuilder, you know, is saying, screw it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, listen to some weightlifters for a while. You know, if you're a powerlifter saying, screw it, I'm gonna, you know, listen to what freaking some bodybuilders are. I, Great really, point. Yeah. Like you say, just being very creative. And like I say, ultimately, I think it's a failure of will. Um, it's, it, you know, so I don't like when I hear that kind of thing, right? Oh, I've yeah. maxed out my potential because I'm like, well, and it's also... nobody's maxed out their potential, you know? And as far as I'm concerned, even people like Phil saying, even people who have, you know, Andy Bolton's who have reached, you know, a, a grand plus deadlift, which is just otherworldly. But I mean, there's always another pound to put on the bar. Yeah. And again, if you've accepted the fact that, uh, if, not the, not the fact, if you've accepted this idea, this notion that you've hit your your true maximum potential, you're dead in the water. And like I say, the only thing that's going to carry you beyond that, and I think everybody can be carried beyond that, but it's going to take, you know, again, a, um, a force of will. And that's something that's going to test you in a way that no barbell probably ever has up until that point. You know, whether it's been a decade or two decades or three decade, decades, sometimes the, the greatest effort that you'll put out as far as making more potential is, to, is just to beat the thing that's holding you back, which is yeah. most primarily in your head. It's your head that's going to hold you back. And I think that's where, you know, this activity we take on or whatever you want to call it is it bleeds into the rest of your life because it's one of the only things out there, I guess, that if if you want to be good and you want to keep succeeding, you are forced to face what you suck at and work at. It. And people generally don't like working at what they suck at. Yeah. You know? Eventually and, you come to like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I, I know all both of you guys are the same way as I am with this. If If I perceive a weakness – I don't look at that in a defeatist way. I get almost, uh, not angry, but, you know, really riled up to say, oh, let's fix that, you know, yeah. because it's the kind of thing that you ha you do have in your control if you, if you have a little bit of patience. I mean, there is a certain physical reality here and some patience and whatnot, but like in bodybuilding, you know, because of 
some of the restrictions that I put on myself. I'm not going to just, like Arnold says, slap on some clay. Well, you can do that when you're ch- chugging a bottle of Anadrol, <laughs> you know, before every workout. But, right, you know, right. so there are some some realities here, of course, but – but no, I, I agree with that. There's always new avenues to explore, and even when that day comes where you know you're actually losing strength and no longer gaining strength, there's still things that you can do, you know, to keep that spark going. You know, like becoming better at different attributes of what you're doing, even if it's not just the poundage. Um, another legendary bodybuilder who's been retired again for. 10 or 15 years now. He, uh, I was just reading something by him a couple days ago, and I won't say the name only because Lonnie and I are kind of friends with a guy, and um, he's actually one of the <laughs> really well-spoken, you know, professional bodybuilders. But he was saying, you know, he was talking about, um, you know, this is what I eat now, and this is, uh, you know, how I re- remain so muscular and lean and all this kind of stuff. And not to knock the guy at all, because everybody has their own kind of, you know, lot in life. But the way I look at it is like, but what are you really doing? I mean, are you trying to get stronger? Are you trying to do anything? Or are you just trying to maintain and hold on to something that was at its best 12, 15 years ago? Yeah, there's not a lot of motivation in that for me. Right. I mean, if I thought to myself, okay, the only reason I'm going to work to train now is to maintain what I have, I, I, I honestly would find that extremely yeah. <laughs> depressing as hell. Yeah. I mean, even to the day that I die, even if, if, even if the reality of this situation might not be quite as you know, rosy as I, I would hope it to be, I w- I, you're still fighting to me to get yeah. better. You yeah. know, even if your fight to get better is only resulting in a maintenance, there's got to be something, there's got to be that fight there, you know, that where, where you're actually believing in your mind that, you know, you are getting better on at least on some level. You know, you're not just trying to maintain what was the greatest thing of you 10, 15 years ago. To me, that's very depressing. I think that's, you hit the nail on the head. There's so many avenues to take in this, and and they're all related, you know, be it bodybuilding, powerlifting, whatever. And I think you're seeing a lot of that now lately. You're seeing, like, powerlifters decide, I'm done. You know, I've I've done my time, and I'm going to retire from the sport, and they they take up bodybuilding, or vice versa. You see bodybuilders get done and say, well, I'm going to see how strong I can get now. And, And they take on this new thing. Yeah, I th- I think that's good. You know, I know at one time, you know, at some point in my future, and I tell people this now, is that when I re- I'm going to get lean again, and I want to see what I've built over all these years of of just getting freaking strong. And you know, it's just another thing to tackle. And who knows? Who I I don't know where I'll be 30 years from now. You know, maybe I'll take up freaking I don't know, go climb Everest or something. You, you know, know I always, I'm going to be doing something. Yeah. You know, I always like that that part of pumping iron where. Of course, it documents the 75 Mr. Olympia in South Africa, and at you know at the end of Arnold's win there, which was his sixth win at that time. Um, of course, he won seven when he came back and won the 80. But um, his speech at the end of that, and Lonnie knows this, you know, the famous speech. You know, I'm I'm retiring from bodybuilding. I'm not retiring from bodybuilding, just bodybuilding competition. I'll bodybuild for the rest of my life. Um, and that always struck me, even way back when, when I first saw that. The whole idea, like Phil's saying, just because you retire from the stage or the lifting platform or whatever um it it, it doesn't it that doesn't really signify an end an end as it is you know ultimately it's just a maybe okay i'm done competing but you know i mean the whole and this goes back to what i was saying about the whole idea and certainly what lonnie was saying about you actually just appreciate enjoy the, the process you know home is not the competition 
home ultimately is just wherever the bar, the bar is. Yeah. Um, and you know, we've done all of us have done enough traveling to know, you know, that feeling when you go into a, a str- you know, a quote unquote strange gym. You know, to get that necessary workout in, or or just because you you're know, going to bust it out with a couple friends while you're in New York, New York City, or what have you, and it really is a strange thing um, that, that that concept of home because you know a barbell's a barbell no matter where you go, and you know um, you can feel out of your element in any city that's as strange as it, as it can be, but if you go into the local gym and they've got a lifting rack and a bench and a barbell, I mean, you know what, you can grab that thing and it takes you right back home because I mean. That that is home, and 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 I know you guys feel the same way. I mean, you know, there's home where you sleep, and then there's home where you train. And you know, certainly for me, I can say that I feel equally as home as I do in either in either place. You know, I, I want to add one thing before we we sort of cut to a little break here. Uh, in a lot of ways, it, it, I almost look back and think it's strange or fate or happenstance that. It is such home for me, you know, just the feelings of handles and the sounds in the gym, you know, with the distant clang of iron. I know you guys know what I'm talking about, of plates and that kind of stuff. And I mean, because for me, it's been as much about art and science as as it's been about war and battle. It's like the two sides of me in a way, you know. I mean, when I was, what, 12, 13 years old, my sister got me a Flex magazine it was 1983 with Samir Benut winning the Mr. Olympia. I actually have a scan of it. And, you know. What, what, what year was that? 1983. Oh, I, oh, I was going to say 83. Samir yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, it wasn't any. She got it for me as a joke. And, it, again, uh, with the Platts reference, but, you know, how he said it's like a calling like a priest. Some people, you know, you see that and you're like, that's it. That's what I want. And like I said, I'm not a super thickly, heavily built person. And I think in the long run, my shape has actually been very good for bodybuilding. But anyway, I, I, I've always looked at that sort of unlikely beginning, you know, and, and how I'm, I'm very interested in that sort of Zane perspective, which is how I, how can I sculpt my body? And at the same time, there is an element of brutality. Uh, I was reading some message boards lately. They were saying, oh, Zane was small and this and that. Go look at the dude good and close. He is not small. Uh, he has a lot of muscle mass. I saw a picture of him doing like low rack pulls with four something, and his back was thick. I yeah. Mean, oh, uh, and again, you I know, mean, let's yeah. let's not yeah. get carried away with this, right? This guy was in fact sculpting his body, and he was his presence was awesome, and that's that's as much of a draw to me as you know getting a nosebleed under a six hundred pound bar. <laughs> and it, ironically, I, I, I sort of like both of those things. You know what I mean? But and, and of course, the science too, I see a lot of parallels with, I went to, why did I go to school and get a PhD in exercise phys and a license in nutrition and all this? Ultimately, it was because of that freaking 1983 issue with Samir Benut on the cover of Flex. You know, I mean, what a bizarre beginning to this, you know, personal development uh, path that I sort of latched onto. I don't know. Well, that's one of the reasons why I have such such disdain for anybody who kind of says anything that w- would in any way perpetuate this whole myth of you know the dumb meathead bodybuilder or you know or strongman or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think you will find that that's the call of a jealous person. Yeah, you know, and and I have met some of the most enlightened, um, certainly to their own self, um, people that I've ever, ever met have come from you know the iron game, quote unquote, as it is. Um, 
you know, of course, that's not always the case. I mean, but but I mean, by and large, people who last a long time in this whole thing, um, for all the right reasons, these are usually people that are exceedingly um, very knowledgeable about themselves. You know, who have come to really have a very intimate um, understanding about who they are their capabilities, their tolerances. I mean, it's like somebody once, I can't remember who it once was said that, but he was saying, you know, the only place that he could go in, that he could feel all the, the range, the, his range of emotions so profoundly was training. You know, you can feel yeah. anger and you can feel sadness. It, it can be feel, spiritual. Rob, you yourself yeah. used that term in, on a podcast not that long ago. It's, it's, it, there's a, almost a, a spirituality to it, a, a reverence. I don't know. It, it's really deep, kind of emotional, kind of thing. You know, of course. And like I say, you can experience that whole rainbow of emotions. You know, under or, or pulling a barbell. You know, you can feel that rage and the, the you know the beauty of it, but also the the brutality of it. And that's why I've always called these things. It's, it's like a brutal art. It's it really is. It's a yeah. brutal art. There are is there is those two sides of it. There's I like the, it. There's the artistic side of it where you want to be an artist, you want to be as good and make your lift look as perfect as possible and be this, you know, shiny example, you're like a technician. You know, you want to be such a beautiful technician and be the artist. But then there's a side that has to also coexist with that, which is the brutality of it, the, the barbarian of it, that, you know, the, the, the that we're the, no longer able to do in society, right? Yeah. I, Rob, you said sometimes you feel like you were born hundreds of years too late. You know, you missed the mid, mid, Middle Ages or something. Well, you know, it, it, no matter how much we try and fool ourselves as, as a society, we are animals, you know, and we are, you know, we are born to, you know, excuse my language, we're born to fuck, we're born to eat, we're born to sleep, we're born to, and a lot of these things kind of, society, certainly our societies, take us away from that so far, and I think that's why a lot of people have a lot of psychological issues is because they're not allowed, or certainly it's frowned upon for people to kind of, um, connect more intimately with that part of them that is so brain so brainstem so you know uh, part and parcel of what they are as an animal um and that's why i think like things like this whether even things like mixed martial arts or anything where you're kind of everything is kind of you know distilled and broken down to to its most you know i mean you can think about your training and be the artist but once you get under the bar once you grab onto the bar you know, um, that that's the point where you, the artistry has to now meet the beast, you know, and you have to find that place where you are the Neanderthal, you know, you are fighting the saber-toothed tiger, you know, right. you are in a very clutched situation where, you know, it's life or death. And you have to you know, really find that place. And I think when you do that and you experience it enough, and I, I think that's actually very healthful, um, I think this would be very helpful. That's why I think that everybody should engage in this kind of thing because I think society as a whole would probably be a hell of a lot more healthy, certainly, again, psychologically, if people would not shun, you know, the idea of, you know, at select times embracing that part, part of right. ourselves. But, but, you know, if, if it's done in a place where it's not harmful to other people and you're not hurting people and going and raping, raping and pillaging, but you're actually doing, using it, in a, in a construct that's actually helping you kind of balance, you know, the, the, the contemporary modern times that we're in right now. I think that's actually very, he- that's actually very healthy. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Let's, let's go ahead and take a brief break. And I want to get back on this to this whole idea of attraction to brutality is, is actually kind of cool. So let's just take a quick break here for some public service messages. Mm-hmm. 
Fortress. What is best in life? If you need a break from listening to these barbarians and you want to read something intellectual, check out the library at www.ironradio.org. The feature article this month is about a conference that took place in Canada, an exercise physiology conference where the researchers were literally trying to answer questions like the optimal number of sets and intensity for maximal protein synthesis and muscle growth. There's other juicy material there, like the effects of cortisol and adding more fat cells to your physique over time, how women recover better than men, and tons more. So if you're interested in reading as well as listening, check out www.ironradio.org and our article library. Thanks. This is Rob Fortress Fortney, and I'm here to let listeners know about the upcoming Strength Workshop, co-hosted by Iron Radio in Las Vegas, Nevada, this coming June. Stay tuned for details. Simply listen to www.ironradio.org, also on iTunes, and check out the site as well. Hope to see you in Vegas, where some of the industry's smartest and strongest guys will be waiting to talk shop with you. Okay, so we're back, and we were just talking about uh, an attraction to brutality a little. And something that Fortress was saying struck me in two ways. One was, if you think about the warrior philosophers, like ancient samurai generals and stuff, I think they had similar um, feelings about a lot of this. You know, there was an art and a philosophy, and yet there was war. And, you know, blending those two things almost seems like an oxymoron, but it's it's really not. Uh, and I'll tell you, I, I've seen Phil do stuff, and I know I've done stuff, and I, I know Rob has done stuff, where there was clearly that addiction, or you know, or at least attraction to uh, war or brutality. I mean, when Phil said that he sort of snapped a couple of weeks ago or whenever it was and squatted 500 for an 8, you know, he knows he's damaging himself in the process. And there he, there he is doing it. You know, now I think the average person would say, well, that's obsessive. That's not healthy. Well, maybe they're right on some level, but I think people who listen to this show, and I know the three of us, we can also appreciate that. You know, maybe it wasn't wise on the deepest level. Or maybe when I used to strap myself with wrist straps to the squat bar and, you know, at midnight because I worked such long shifts as a keg boy and I would squat strapped to the bar. I mean, Rob's talking about life or death. You know, I was literally facing oblivion, you know, and it was self-induced. Maybe not the smartest thing from a, a, a timid person's viewpoint, but, you know, the attraction is there. I don't know. Yeah, and I just want to hit, I think, you know, all this leads into a lot of what Rob was saying. Um, most of the people really involved in this long term do know themselves and know themselves on a very high level. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people are missing now. I, I think as a society as a whole, most people walking around out there just don't really know who they are. They don't ever take the time. They're living, they're, they're living by other people's rules and other people's standards. And it's in the gym is that one, one of the places you can do that. You can go in and find out just who you are personally. Yeah. And you're doing it for nothing but you. And if you're doing it, if you're doing it for anybody else, you're not going to be in there a long time. You're going to be one of those people that comes in, they're out of there, you know, they come in January 1st and they're gone by January 15th. Yeah. And I think you can, you can work that emotional muscle too. You know, if you do feel a little twinge of weakness or throwing in the towel, you resist that and you do a little bit anymore, a little bit more anyway. You know, it's like that quote I was talking about from Theodore Roosevelt about coming up short again and again. But you, you flex that 
proverbial muscle, and then you start to forge something that's sort of made out of iron in your character. And that sounds a little bit cheesy, but you know what I mean. You, you become better at facing yourself until you're sort of a master of it. Yeah, I think also, you know, you people that have been at this for decades and been at it a long time, you see three or four different qualities. I mean, they, they know themselves. They know just how far they can push themselves, and they know themselves on multiple levels. They're also some of the strongest people in the world, not just in their body. But at the same time, they're usually the most humble, too, and the most understanding of other people. And, you know, they're not the ones out there talking themselves up as the next greatest thing. They're usually just a very understanding, humble person because they've been beat by themselves so many times. Right. You know? No, that's a great point. Yeah. You know? Well, I would agree with that because I've I've long said, you know, like, I've been in the the presence several times of, you know, room, room full of the, literally the strongest and biggest men in the world. And the thing that always struck me was just, like you say, Phil, how calm and humble everybody is. Usually the ones who are yapping the longest are the guys who are fresh on the gas. They've been training for four or five years. Yeah, can't you know, handle their shit. Yeah. yeah, they've gotten to a little, you know, a reasonable level of strength. And they're like these dogs that are just yelling and yapping. And it's like, and then, then you, then you get to that next level. You know, and you keep progressing all these levels up to the point where you get to, you know, the truly world class guys. And like you say, more often than not, they're calm, they're polite, they they champion the little guy because they know that at one point they were the little guy. And like you say, they've come to an understanding that, you know, we're all, you know, I mean, you you go in the gym and you like to pretend you're a machine. Um, We're all like that. I do the same thing when you walk, and you kind of have to do that. When you put, place your foot in the gym, you have to kind of think of yourself like that. You're a machine. But the reality of the situation is, and when you're reflective on this, when you're not acutely under the bar, um, you, you do realize that we're all flesh and blood, and we all bleed, you know, and we all end up at the same place. So you have to have a certain amount of, um, you know, empathy and sympathy, or just certainly, uh, you know, a pause of support for the guy who is fresh to it. You know what I mean? And because you never know. That guy, I mean, the chances are that guy will never become you. Uh, and that sounds very arrogant. I don't mean it that way. I certainly do. Uh, but, you know, there is the chance that that kid that you see in the corner that's doing everything wrong, and he's a buck 20 soaking wet, you know, and, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, what's the possibility this guy's going to last for decades and actually get to some sort of level? But you know what? You never know. He might be that guy. You know, yeah. he might be that guy that becomes one of us, you know, um, yeah. one of those guys that will be, the, you know, the old, wise, you know, hardened, battle-weary dude, you know, that one day is now, you know, looking at the next row of people. Because you know what? In every gym, there's probably one of those guys in there. Maybe only one or two, but they're in there. And you never really know which one it's going to be. It's hard to spot. You know? I think some of that comes back to our, uh, issues of mortality. I mean, I heard on a TV show the other day something about we get 25,000 days Never thought about it that way, but if you do the math, 365, you know, times 70 or 75 years or whatever, it's 25,000 days. And I'm going to spend those in a, in a certain way. You know what I mean? And if it's passing some of that knowledge on to the guy who's going to go beyond my 25,000 days, rock on with that. Yeah. You know? Exactly. So I, but at the same time, you know, you're, you want to be a hero in your era. But we've all, we've all lived long enough already to watch heroes come and go. I mean, one of my early heroes in the muscle magazines, Rich Gasperi, which you know, Rob was already, already talking about. 
And a, a lot of those guys are even guys older than that. I looked at, remember looking at the old Bob Kennedy books with like Serge Nubray or Brutal Bertel Fox or, you know, Muhammad Makawi. There's a name, you know, I mean, some of these great posers. I mean, some of this, these guys are, you know, now they're past their prime. A lot of them still lifting, still lifers. Zane, still dieting, still looking pretty good. Robbie yeah. Robinson, all those guys still at it. Bill Pearl, as we know, you know, we've had him on before. We'll have him on again. Um, those guys are, are still at it. And yet, you know, they continue to be, there's a nobility in it, I guess is what I'm saying. There's this nobility of character in some of these guys that are lifers. They're champions and they're heroes in their own era. And they pass on some of that knowledge. Again, I, I think about what I've read about medieval samurai doing something very similar, you know, passing on their secrets so somebody, you know, their students can go on and be even better than them and, and that kind of stuff. Well, I never really understood why, you know, it, in gym culture, it's not quite the same as in martial arts culture where your dojo, your place of training, you know, is like, you know, one of the greatest sins you can do um, is to, you know, um, disrespect the actual place of training, you know, and leave it in shambles and be, you know, spit on the walls and, you know, yeah. not, put your, not put your stuff away. Um, even last night when I was in with, the, uh, I was training actually with a young guy last night, we were doing a bunch of stuff and at the end of it, you know, he, you know, I put all my weights away, but then I was going kind of above and beyond. I was putting away little things here, and then he says, "Man, you're kind of like, you know, <laughs> like obsessible." And I said to him, "I said, you know what? You get to a certain age, and you really do realize, like you're saying, Lonnie, there has to be a certain amount of honor in what you're doing." Um, you know, and in my goal, and I've said this now that in the last year, I've come 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 to this realization of myself that my goal when I go in the gym beyond just the lifting goal, my goal is to make sure that wherever I am in the gym when I leave, it looks better than when I got there. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's that whole idea of where you know, like if I'm in this you know power rack, which is ninety percent of my training, you know, when I get there, when I leave, it looks better and it's neater and everything is more kind of like you know. Uh, together than it was when I got there and again it goes it goes to that whole thing about trying to, a perfectionist attitude and a and an honor and a and a really kind of deep respect for what it's it has given you so you have to give back to it you people know, you know. need a sense of reverence and ritual and i think we develop that ourselves you know when when we're in the gym even if it's a solitary quest like the lone warrior kind of thing i know some people like training partners I'd rather be lifting around people I know, but I don't really need someone shouting my face, you know, like an ongoing training partner. But yeah, you, I think you develop those sort of that ritual and that reverence. Uh, that, that's one of the ways humans derive meaning. I mean, and you can put great meaning in something as simple as a rusty plate. You know, it's funny, but it's true. I have one more question for you guys before we're done. Because uh, uh, listeners, m- they might think about themselves with this one too, as far as origins. Did you have a mentor or an idol, either someone personal, you know, uh, local, or even famous, that was a huge inspiration to you, or somehow guided you in some way? Well, I certainly um, to, kick, to kick this off. I mean, I. I certainly, the first, it's funny because you do, you were talking earlier about the first issue, you know, and had Samir Banu and stuff on the cover. I remember the first issue I had of a muscle magazine. I remember the store I bought it in, you know, and it was uh, a muscle and fitness with Lou Ferrigno on the cover, you know, promoting his Hercules movie. And it, and it was a feature on Tom Platt's and, and it was a feature on the Barbarian Brothers. And to this day, those two guys are my biggest 
Um, yeah, they are. <laughs> I mean, I still talk about these guys. Yeah, you, know? you do. Um, you know, and it certainly since that time, I have you know multitudes of others. Um, but you know, those, and certainly, I, I consider myself very fortunate in, in that you know my first few years of training, I was just in my high school gym, kind of blah blah blah. But within pretty pretty quickly in my later teen years, I joined what was at the time, you know, a very bustling, robust bodybuilding scene in Toronto at, at what was a gold gym in, in part of Toronto called Mississauga. And at that gym, at that time, it was, and I've talked to Lonnie many times about this, it was, it was really, it was like, it was like the Venice um, Gold's Gym of the North. I mean, yeah, I had everybody from Steve Brisbois there to Bob Weatherill to Henderson Thorne to uh, Nimrod King to Laura Craval to... Astrid Falcone to I mean I, you know the names are endless and the all these people trained there um, and it was also the gym when the W it was of course then it was the WWF now it's the WWE um, when the WWE rolled through town that was kind of the gym um, where these guys would come and get their workouts in before the weekend and and so this place was an endless an endless sorts of inspiration and excitement and you know everybody was training hard everybody was either trying to get their pro cards at that point or you know just winning the you know the regional competitions and um you know we had strongmen come in there we had lots of the toronto argonauts always training there i mean this place was phenomenal and to this day i have such warm memories and when i think back i think how exceedingly fortunate am i that i was within two three years of my training that i was exposed to this at each and every session, I was exposed to all these guys, powerlifters, um, professional wrestlers, um, football players, um, guys who are, you know, hungrily going after yeah. their pro bodybuilding. High-level stuff, yeah, yeah charged and, and, atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I trust me, I recognize very much the fortune I had in being exposed to that. Phil, what about you? Did, did you have a mentor? Was there a local guy? or was or uh... at, at, at the beginning, it was me, and but I mean... The day I say I started training, you know, I, I I say I've been at this for a long time, but then I say I started training like about nine years ago, um, is when it was training with Calvin Neff in Thailand. I met Calvin. He was, uh, he ranked elite in like five different weight classes in powerlifting. <laughs> this was back when Louis started, so it was back before gear and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And he did strongman. He was still, uh, Calvin's like 67 now. And I was training with him. He was getting ready for a strongman competition in Thailand. And it, it was then. And I just, that's when I, it turned from exercising into training. It became serious. And uh, I learned a lot of a, a lot of things from Calvin. Uh, respect in the gym and just, you know, how to really push yourself past that, working hard to, to pushing yourself to the maximum. Yeah, a higher purpose kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, just a, yeah. Yeah. It put a whole new meaning into training, and it was shortly after that I came back here and did my first meets and this and that, and you know cool. that's when I made good progress before that. But that's when it was like boom, I started skyrocketing. Right. Yeah. I for I think for me it w- it was more of a, a a solo kind of thing. I mean, I did work in a local gym, and that was definitely part of it. I started working in a local gym, just a little mon pa gym. You know, it's a kind of gyms. It's ironically, well, not ironically, understandably, it's the kind of gym I ch- I look for now, which is sort of the '80s gym. I'd call it, you know, the, it's just, it's not a fitness center per se. Absolutely. You know, there's a, a, there's an old homemade built power platform in the corner. You know, some of the machines are hand welded maybe. I don't know, but it's just plates and it's just that kind of gym. 
it's where I'm the kind of gym I'm, I'm lifting at right now. And it's, and there's one down in lacrosse too, uh, simply called the gym. And it's the same kind of thing. It's what I call that eighties sort of gym, but I was exposed to a competitor there and, um, I was friends with his son and his son really wasn't into fitness. I think he just got it maybe shoved at him so much that he sort of went the other way. But so, uh, but there was a guy, Jim, and he owned a, a, a facility called Jim's Gym. And uh, ironically, the gym I'm training at now is owned by a guy named Jim. But uh, the point is, you know, I did learn a little bit from him. It's not like I trained under him or he was some big mentor. I think it was a more of a solo thing because uh, I was I was always lifting. And in, 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 over time, it even sort of came into conflict with my martial arts because I was, you know, competing at a pretty high level there. And uh, I actually remember my martial arts instructor saying, Lonnie, you don't have to be Mr. This or Mr. That, you know. And I'm thinking, I kind of do. Uh, anyway, but yeah. so I, I think a lot of people, they, they pick certain people they admire in magazines and, you know, obviously watching stuff like pumping iron or the comeback or it's on YouTube now. What's it? It's called, it's under total rebuild, I think, which is a, a great movie about Arnold's 1980, you know, return to competition and stuff. But between that and the magazines, I was, I was hooked. Like I said, there was definitely that calling thing there. And I'm, I, again, I'm not this super robust uh, kind of individual. If anything, I'm more ectomorphic. But man, it was it, it was just such an emotional draw. Anyway, yeah. Hey, well, the thing I wanted to follow up with you guys then is how important do you think that is to have a single mentor? It sounds like you, Rob, you sort of just fed off a whole environment. Yeah, I, I was. <laughs> I just had so much meat everywhere. I was just eating <laughs> off. So, you know, I mean, I picked up so much from so many different people. I mean, if if I was to do a you know an Oscar worthy acceptance speech of all the people that have influenced me and helped me, um, it would go on for a long time. I mean, even things like I remember like um, when Henderson Thorne you know was coming up and trying to get his pro card, and he was training with a guy at the name the time called his name was Barry McKenzie. Uh, rest in peace. He died of cancer. Oh. Um, but they were training partners and. They were like my squatting mentors outside of Tom Platt's. Henderson Thorne was strong as shit, wasn't he? He, he was. A, I mean, I saw him in the gym squat 765. And, oh. and, and several years after that, I was told um, by some people who I very much trust that he actually hit a 805 or something. You know, you're talking about guys 215 pounds. But anyway, you know, I mean, these guys, I remember asking them, like they would squat on Saturdays. And I remember asking them, you know, uh, Barry Ann Henderson, hey, do you guys mind if we just came in on Saturday, me and my friend at the time? And just pull up a bench and watch you guys squat. And they were so, um, yeah, absolutely. That's very cool. I mean, they, I think they liked the idea. You know, it helped them and helped. And, you know, that's what I'm saying. It's just like, you know, you pass it on and, and everybody is influenced in me in different ways. And, and I appreciate everybody who's done that. I mean, I have so many people to thank, really, at the end of, when, you know, when I'm on my deathbed. I have so many people that have influenced me and helped me and guided me and, you know, Show me the right way to do things, and even the people. Even I even thank the people who showed me the wrong things because you know what, you got to see both to know which one's which, right? I think there's got to be an element for anybody to to reach to sort of reach life or status or a fairly high level of competition or just you know performance. There's got to be this balance between the the lone warrior, you know, the solo path. Because let's face it, if you don't have a training partner around, you're not just going to go home. <laughs> So, you know, but at the same time, even with you guys, it's good to have some friends and stuff. You can sort of send around pictures or talk about recent lifts or that kind of stuff. And technology can help with that sort of stuff, too. You don't have to have these same guys in your gym, really, even. 
But and maybe that's one of the the functions of this podcast for some people too. They're like, oh yeah, the, you know, those guys strike a chord with me, you know. But but in any case, I do think there's this kind of balance between the solo and the and the solo. No, and I think I think it has to be. I mean, like I said, I mean, I trained with Calvin over there for six months, and I claim him as one of the most influential people. I think it's just because that's where I'm, it's like that's where my real passion began. Before that, I was studying a lot of the nutrition, this and that, great, and that's where I really got into iron was there but from there it's learning every minute you can from everyone you can i have too many influences to to even name and i think that's i think coaches and athletes uh or people interested in strength do themselves a disservice if they only learn from one person yeah um you need to learn from as many people as you can um and be open to learn all the time yeah Okay, well, I, I, we're out of time, so uh, I, I think that was a good talk. Good talk. Yeah, good show. yeah, great. Talk to you guys later. Well, yeah, you too, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I okay. do want to mention. I, do, I want to mention the seminar again. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It is yeah. up for sale. It is up, ready to go. Go buy your tickets now. Where do uh, they go, Phil? They go to <laughs> www.strengthguild.com. Click on Forum. You will see the store at the top of the page. If you just go directly to the store, you will see a price for $199. If you take the time and become a registered, subscribed member of the Forum, you will automatically see that price drop, $49.95. You are a wizard of automation. There you go. Nice. Okay. All right, guys. See you next time. Later. Yep. Catch you later. For the best sports nutrition information on the planet, make plans to attend the 8th Annual ISSN Conference and Expo, June 23rd to 25th, 2011, at the Westin Las Vegas Hotel, Casino, and Spa. We'll have the latest on creatine, beta-alanine, protein, nutrient timing, and much, much more. So, for more information, go to www.theissn.org. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like Iron Radio, if you like what we do, uh, the education, interviewing uh, industry personalities, or many of the pro bodybuilders or coaches that we've had in the past, uh, please just click on the donate button at www.ironradio.org and make a donation. We've had some great donations from people that have kept us going. Thank you so much. Uh, so please visit uh, the website, click on the donation button, or if you like, uh, and it's a similar situation, Buy some Iron Radio cool stuff. We've got t-shirts and mugs and things like that. And those things help support the site and keep us on the air. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.